Hello, and welcome to the Full Cup Professionals Podcast, a podcast for social service providers and anyone that's in a caregiving role in your life. I'm one of your hosts, Krista Mayfield. And I'm the other host, Faith Larson. And today we're interviewing Heather Gates, who's a chaplain with the Galveston Police Department. She's going to share her story and her journey from being a chaplain all the way to becoming a social service provider. We loved this episode because Heather really opened up about her role as the chaplain for Galveston Police Department and talked about the balance between serving others, but also getting help for yourself when you yourself have been exposed to trauma. She talked about how she empowers the officers on her team to find resources and take care of themselves. We talked about how it can be really sticky when you're in this place of providing services to not make yourself the end-all be-all resource. She was honest. She was relatable. We had a great conversation that I know you're going to appreciate. She also mentioned a really helpful resource for first responders that we'll include in our show notes. We're so excited that you're here. We're thankful for all you do. Let's jump in and get started. We also want to include a bit of a trigger warning as Heather discusses her work. She mentions a couple of the scenes she's responded to, including a pretty gnarly car accident involving some teens. And so we just want to give you a heads up that it doesn't get graphic, but that that topic comes up today. So if that is troublesome to you, maybe fast forward that section or pass up this episode and we'll catch you on the next one. And we're back with another episode of Full Cup Professionals. Faith, how are you today? I'm so good. I'm so excited to be here today. We have such a special episode. So yeah, I'm good. How are you? I am doing well. I know I am really excited for this episode. This is like, we're podcasters now. (laughs) Yes, we're like legit after this episode. (sighs) Okay, before we jump in, what are you drinking this morning? I am drinking out of my self-care club, Big Cup. I found this at Target and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have this. Yeah. It was like $3 at Target. So it was like one of those awesome finds. But I'm just drinking some water today and I put some lemon and lime essential oil in my water so I can get that citrusy flavor in my water and without all the germs of putting actual limes and lemons in my water. So... All right. Nice. Very refreshing. That's what I'm drinking. Lovely. What are you drinking over there? Well, I start my morning with a giant glass of water. With It's usually like an herbal infusion. Today, I just added some trace minerals. And then I just finished my coffee. Although I'm just realizing now, I might regret that decision. So I did not (laughs) sleep last night because I went to a coffee shop to get some work done. And I ordered decaf coffee. And I realized... When I couldn't fall asleep last night, that it probably didn't come out to me as decaf. So I'm on like five hours of sleep, which for Princess Krista is not enough. So I'm like, oh, now I've had more caffeine and less sleep and my poor adrenals are just like, stop. You're running on caffeine and adrenaline. Actually, yes. So if I'm a little wired today, but we're going to jump into our episode because Today is super exciting. So we started the show because we wanted a space to talk through the impact of social service on us as providers. 
and talk about how that to be really in it with people inevitably affects us. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to create a space where we could have these honest, relatable conversations on the realities of social service. And one of the ways that we want to do that is by listening to our community and to people that yes, to people do still in the work. trenches. Yes. Yes. So today we have an amazing, amazing guest. We have yes. Heather Gates. She Hello, is a Heather. chaplain. Yes. Hi. So Heather is a chaplain for Galveston Police Department. She is an ordained deacon with the Methodist Church, and she just graduated with her master's in social work. Heather, congratulations. I know that yes. working and going to school is not an easy feat, but I'm really excited to hear about that journey for you and your work. You're there in, embedded within this police department to support the officers mind, body, and spirit while they are in these really hard situations. And so today we want to talk through your role, your work. We want to hear about you and all that you do. And we want to really kind of unpack how being in those spaces with people comes at a cost to ourselves. So Heather, would you just introduce yourself to the audience, to our beautiful listener on the other end, and tell us just about your background and a little bit about your story? Yeah. Thank you all so much for the invitation to be here. I'm really excited to get to do this. Background-wise, I actually started in the United Methodist Church doing youth ministry. And oddly enough, that actually really prepared me well for chaplaincy. Working with officers is a lot like working with teenagers, but I did <laughs> I did youth ministry for several years and never really saw myself doing anything outside the church. Maybe hospital chaplaincy, maybe pastoral care kind of something, but never really dreamed of police chaplain role. It was actually through one of the officers working the church that kept asking me to go on a ride along. And I said, no, I'm good. I don't do scary things. That sounds scary. And thankfully, he kept bothering mm. me because I finally gave in and said yes. And it was the craziest yes I think I've ever said in my life, but it's been the best yes I've ever said. I wasn't sold right at first. The first couple of ride-alongs, I was like, eh, I mean, this is cool, but I don't know that this will ever be what I do. And then the last ride-along I did was one of those, well, what I thought was going to be the last ride-along was one of those nights where like everything that I did was this big neon flashing sign of pay attention to this. This is something meant for you. So after that, I said, okay, well, How cool. guess here we go. We're jumping on this journey and it's been amazing ever since. Definitely been a fun roller coaster. So that's just kind of the, the short of how I got into it. So it's been awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Was there like a gap in the police department that needed to be filled. And because you had some relationships with the police officers, it was easy for you to step in or like after you realized like, Oh, this is my calling. How did it come to fruition that you got embedded with this police department? Yeah, so it actually did kind of work out that there was not an intentional gap, but the chaplain that was volunteering in the position before had been having some pretty major health struggles. So he had really had to back off a little bit in what he was doing. And he really hadn't seen the nighttime officers in a long time just because he couldn't do the night stuff anymore. And so nights was where I kind of 
started. And so they were like, we've never seen a chaplain before. This is awesome. So it was kind of a new thing for them. So they kind of embraced me easily. And it was really cool to see that. And it was humorous because the chaplain that his name was Roland that was in the position before he kept telling me, you're going to take this over. And I said, okay, sure. They kept saying, no, this is, this is going to be your thing. And I just kept looking at him and saying, okay, whatever you know that I don't know Roland, but I don't think so. And he ended up actually making a decision that was best for his well-being. And he was able to purchase a home right next to his grandbabies. And so he went ahead and moved and that opened the door for me to step in, but still never believed it would be an actual job when the church that I was serving at offered to look at doing grant funds. I was really surprised. And that was the first time I really thought of it being able to be something that I did as a paid full-time thing. And so it started out as a fully grant-funded position and now it's partially funded by the grant still and partially in the city's budget. And so I finished my fifth year and it's cool to have seen the buy-in to it really grow and people really get invested in it. And yeah, never thought it's where I would be, but it's been so cool. Yeah, that's an amazing journey to go from like a completely volunteer position to a grant funded position to half and half the city of Galveston has bought into the good work that you're doing. That's just an amazing journey to see not only how valuable you are and what your position is to the officers, but the need to have someone to support police and first responders and everyone in this space. So absolutely, I just want to like, thank you so much for what you're doing. And it sounds like you're making such a great impact. Yeah, it's incredible. And I echo faith to see a city look at your work and go, yeah, we want to get behind this. Yeah. Um, and to see that it's important for our officers to have someone on site present who is dedicated to caring for them. I would love to just hear a little bit about what your role entails. Like what does a chaplain for police officers do? When I think of chaplain, it's like you think of a chapel and like, I know it's not what chaplains do, but understanding about your role would be awesome. Of course. Most people, when you say chaplain, automatically attach you to death of some sort. In fact, Mm. I have Mm. been riding with the officers sometimes and had my polo shirt that has giant chaplain on the back and I'll walk in places and someone will be like, who died? What happened? Why are you here? Like, I just wanted to eat dinner with them. It's really okay. So it is humorous that people automatically assume death. And ironically, if you ask some of the officers, they would say that me coming out to death scenes is what's most valuable about my role. So there is definitely mm. a, a large percentage of dealing with death of some sort. But really overarching, the easiest way I think to describe chaplaincy is as a ministry of presence. There's a lady that I did a training with mm. and I love the way that she describes her role. She was an FBI chaplain and she said she loiters with intent. <laughs> Isn't that great? So she basically described it as that you spend a lot of time wandering around checking on people, saying hi to people, building those relationships before things get bad so that when things do get bad, there's already a trust and a comfort built that they feel comfortable coming to you. And so I use her phrase all the time, loitering with intent. But it really is just this idea of being present and being available. And that looks so different depending on the day and what's going on. 
the thing that you said about trust that really speaks to how you build rapport in a space like this, you know, because law enforcement are kind of like their own subculture. And so to embed yourself into that as a support system for them, you do kind of have to meet them where they're at, you know, just like we're what social work talks about, like meeting people where they're at. And I can just see how that kind of looked like at the beginning of just kind of peripherally being around and building that trust so that people would eventually start to open up to you. Yeah. And so I think it's really cool. And that phrase is really good. And I've been so appreciative of how the department has valued the position because there are a lot of days that if you looked at my quote unquote productivity you would say it's very small and very minimal because there are so many days that I spend a lot of time just sitting in my office with people coming in and out or wandering around, checking on dispatch, checking on the detectives, checking on whoever. And that doesn't really look productive a lot of times. And so I've really appreciated that the assistant chief's office is catty corner to mine. So he can see what I'm doing during the day or whatever. And they understand the value of an officer just coming in and goofing off for a few minutes because they've just been working on a really heavy investigation or just responded to a really hard call. And so they see that as valuable and as time well spent. And I'm really thankful for that because that's something that's hard to teach someone if they don't already understand that. And so the fact that when I came in that they already understood that was huge. But I think there was a lot in the beginning because this position was new as a full-time paid position. There was a lot of grasping at straws of trying to figure out what I really was supposed to be doing with my time. Mm. And because I knew it was this grant that had a timeline on it that I was going to eventually have to convince the city that I was valuable there was a lot of, let me see what I can do to prove my worth. And so I probably took on a Mm. lot more to the position than what a chaplain might specifically do. I joke around with one of my other chaplain friends. I think I've kind of expanded my role to be chaplain and wellness coordinator and association assistant and, you know, kind of chat or a station mom. (laughs) I mean, all these things that I've kind of taken on because when I started, I didn't really know what that role fully looked like. And so I did a lot of just feeding people too. I'm like, here, come to my office and have a snack because I don't know what else to do for you. So there was a lot of kind of almost fumbling and just trial by error in the beginning. It's worked out a lot, thankfully, but I probably have expanded my job more than it necessarily needed to be by doing that. Yeah, I like that you highlighted that because during my social work internship, I interned at a police department and they had a chaplain who would come on site for like two or three hours every Wednesday. They would send out an email and be like, hey, the chaplain's going to be in the training room from 12 to 2 today if you want to stop by and talk to him. And so the way that you have formulated your chaplaincy and your way to really pour into the officers looks so much different than that, but it also has bared so much fruit. But can we take a little step back and kind of talk about like, what are all the hats you wear? Because I'm hearing you talk about you have an office where police officers can come anytime to get snacks. You're going on ride-alongs. You're showing up at death investigation scenes to provide support to the community, I'm assuming. So kind of tell us a little bit about like what a typical day 
in your life looks like? Yeah. So you want me just to highlight my chaos? Got it. It is hard because people do ask what a typical day looks like. And that's hard to answer sometimes. But in a, a typical week, maybe I do try at least once a week to get out in a car with an officer. And that's so important to me because a lot of times that's where the officers will talk the most of what's really going on with them, whether it's a struggle at home or a scene they've been on or a frustration with the department, whatever it may be. There's something about when they're driving and they don't have to sit in a chair and look at you that they're more comfortable to talk. And I've even had officers look at me after a ride along and say, what did you do to me? How did you make me talk about all that? Like, I didn't do anything to you. You just felt comfortable. And you're like, I just sat here. Exactly. I just asked you how you were doing, you know? And so the ride alongs are really neat space to do that. There's just a different feel there to them coming in the office. So that's something I try to do once a week. It also reminds them of the availability on scenes because I do operate on an on-call basis. And humorously, I actually realized right as we started this, I forgot to call dispatch and tell them I wouldn't be available for a little while. So hopefully I don't get a call while we're on this. But they are able to call a chaplain if they need support out on a scene. And that can range from a family member that's just passed and the family's grieving and the officers don't love dealing with tears. So they call us to come and help and do that. Or it can be One of the hardest, I think, is death notifications. And so we'll go alongside the officers when they have to go inform someone that someone has passed away. And those are always tough on the officer. And so it's always helpful to have a second person to do that alongside you. Sometimes it's kids that mom and dad or whatever adult was responsible for them just got arrested and the children have to be brought back to the station. And sometimes the officers just need an extra hand hanging out with the kids or helping them deal with a traumatic situation that they've just experienced. And so a lot of times they'll call us to help with those. So a lot of times during a week, there's kind of an unknown of you might get called out four or five times, you might not get called out at all. And that just depends on what all is going on. I do have an office at the station, which is something that when I started, the chief really fought to make sure I had, which again, is a hugely appreciated thing. It's really made a difference. It's right where the officers come in and write their reports. It's actually right next to the box where they have to get their key at the beginning of shift and turn in their key at the end. So I even just get to see them passing Mm. by when they're grabbing keys. And so I'm really right where they are, which is helpful. Sometimes I debate if it's a bad thing, but I think it's a much more of a good thing than it is the struggles that maybe might be there with that. They can pop in, chat if they need to. I have a bulletin board in my office that has all different resources that they can come in and look at. So if they're not comfortable asking for a counseling referral or any sort of resource they might need, they can just look on the bulletin board. And there's chunks of time that I'm definitely not in the office, which I think is helpful because it gives them the ability to come in and do that if they need it. I try to set it up as much kind of like a counseling office as I can. Making a police station as comfortable is a definite challenge, but I've tried to kind of make my office a space of a little more comfort and peace in the midst of their kind of chaos and work that they have to do. And so some of them will just come in and I'll be working on something and they'll say, I just need to sit keep doing what you're doing. You're good, which I have a hard time ignoring them if they come in. So I usually stop what I'm doing, but sometimes they just need to come in and sit away from whatever madness they've just been in the midst of. So having that office is really great. And then 
I partner a lot with the association that they have just because that's a good space to hear what some of the officers' concerns are and hear how the association is trying to advocate for them and just kind of be around in that space too. So that's something I've started on, which has made a big difference in what I do too, because it's just given another avenue to know what's going on in the department. So I think that kind of covers a lot of them. I'm sure I've missed something. I try to do a lot of proactive wellness things, which is where I was able to connect with Krista to offer some trainings and reminding the guys that they've got to take care of them. And in fact, the compassion fatigue training that Krista did, I saw light bulbs go on for officers that I've never seen react that way to a training before and them to be able to really realize what was going on with them. And it put words to something that they've never understood before. So getting to be an avenue for that too has been really incredible. Wow. I mean, like that sounds like you're doing such amazing work, wearing so many hats, supporting the community, supporting the officers, providing a safe space, providing resources, providing training. You're really kind of a one-stop shop. And as a social worker myself, it really makes sense that you just went back to school to become a social worker yourself because I'm sitting here going, man, you're doing social work. You are the department social worker. To me, it just highlights this sounds pretentious, but the belief that I was right. Because about a year ago when I started Good Sustained, my thought was, I think best practice is to have someone embedded within a team whose Mm. job is to take care of the team. Because in social service, whether that's law enforcement or a nonprofit of some kind, our job is to serve the community. And we're out there and we're other focused. And especially if we work in a high trauma space, there's so much demand on all of our resources, our time, our attention, our emotional capacity, our mental capacity. And we just keep going with that. And I, historically, that's what we've done is just like pedal to the metal. You answer those calls, you go out there, you do the work day in, day out. And so to have someone embedded in a team who literally, you've literally made a space for your people to come in, catch their breath, be seen, be heard, be respected, be validated. Get a snack. I just, yeah, yeah. and get a snack. <laughs> I just think that's so beautiful. You are really dealing with trauma on trauma because The officers are exposed to trauma all day long, pretty much by definition of their job. And then you're there to help them through theirs, but you're also coming on scene and witnessing. And so you are really carrying a lot. How has working in that environment, and especially with it being your responsibility to help these officers work through their trauma, trauma that you're experiencing secondhand or maybe firsthand when you do these ride-alongs or go on site, how has that impacted you? That's a different thing that I've realized as chaplain versus social worker. And I actually had a lot of tension in my thoughts in that as I was going through my social work degree, because it was like, how do I properly take care of myself and process this? But I'm different than a therapist that's sitting in the office and having someone come to them and tell them their things. Like you said, I'm on scene with them half the time and witnessing it at the same time that they are. And so that's been an interesting road to walk because sometimes it definitely is appropriate with the chaplain hat on to process it together. 
and to talk with them and say, this was hard on a scene and here's a thought that I had from it and here's what I experienced sitting with the family and telling the story together kind of helps us both process what happened on the scene and some of that, which I know is so different than what you would do as a mental health provider because you're not really processing together at that point. So when I started my social work degree, I thought I was doing something wrong by that and kind of had a moment of, oh no, I'm harming them or I've done something that I'm making it more about me than about them. But I really had to stop Mm. and think that, no, because we were standing there together. So how would you not talk about that together? Mm. And how would you not do that? But then in other ways, I am very cautious about making sure that they have their space to debrief things that doesn't include me, especially if I wasn't primarily there or if I wasn't involved in it and making sure at those points that I am the listening ear and that I then have somewhere else to go and process what I experience or have heard. And so it is a a weird balance as a chaplain versus strictly a mental health professional. A couple of years ago, we had a really bad accident in front of the high school and a high school student was killed on scene in the accident. And then another one died two weeks later. I remember hearing about that. And it was one that impacted the officers in a way that I haven't seen a lot of other situations impact them. And we did a debriefing for them. And I really went back and forth on, do I sit in that debriefing as a participant or do I not? I don't know what I'd do there. And so I called and asked one of my other chaplain friends what they would do. And I asked one of the mental health professionals on the team, I said, what do you think? And I really went back and forth and I decided to go ahead and sit in the debriefing as a participant because I responded to the scene. I saw the accident. I was with the officers there. I responded to the hospital and spoke with one student that wasn't very badly injured and the mom and you know, spoke with the families there and stuff. And I was like, I was there. I experienced this alongside them. I think it is appropriate to do that. And I talked with the lieutenant afterwards and he actually said he was really appreciative that I sat in there with them and that it was good for them to hear that these things impact me too and that I'm not some superwoman that can just brush this stuff off and it doesn't impact. And so I was thankful to hear that because I really wasn't sure if that was the right move or not. So it is a weird line to figure out when you're experiencing the trauma with them, but then also here to listen to trauma that they're having on their own. And I hope always that I walk that line well. Yeah, it sounds like you're really trying to check in with yourself about where is that line. And as you're talking, I heard a couple of things that you are doing correctly is that you're giving resources, you're referring people out. If someone's coming to you with more than something that's just a conversation in the office, you're providing them resources. And so you're not sitting here going, hey, I can be everything to you. I can be the person sitting next to you and I can be the person that is your therapist. You're saying, I can only be one of those things. And if I have to choose, I'm going to be the person sitting next to you because we have gone through these things together and I'm going to refer you out to someone where you can take the next step of mental health treatment. And I think that that's really important. And I'm glad that you brought up the critical incident debriefing because that's where you and I really met was at that critical incident debriefing uh, training that we took a couple years ago together. And I remember thinking, man, this is such an interesting model because the person leading it is also in it. And so you're following the model that you've been taught. And the other thing about social work is that 
we're allowed to self-disclose if it benefits the client. We're not allowed to self-disclose if it's going to benefit us. But if a client asks us a question that's personal and we feel comfortable sharing it, we're allowed to self-disclose. Or if we've had similar experience, you're allowed to sit there and go, yeah, this impacted me too. And it seems like you're doing a really good job of saying, hey, I'm, I'm allowed to say, hey, I feel this with you. And then I'm going to take what I need to process and process that with my own person outside of this as well. And so it seems like you're holding the balance of this really well. And I can see where those lines would be in the gray area, but it seems like you're doing a really great job of figuring all of that out and doing what is best for the department. And I hugely appreciate a lot of times when I show up on scene, it's nice working with people who are naturally protectors. Because if I show up to something that is really gruesome and it's not really necessary that I see that, they're really good about pointing over to the other side and saying, the family's over there. You should go over there. I just go, okay, thank you. So it's nice that I feel like we all kind of look out for each other, which is a really cool space to be in. Yeah. And it's really reminding me of what you said at the very beginning, the power of presence and how your role is to be a presence. And I think what I'm hearing from you is this model of service, this model of presence that's rubbing up against the idea that I think we've collectively had that there's this helper and helpy, (laughs) that there's this like more whole person, and then this person who is desperate and needs us. And what I'm hearing you say is even in the moments where I'm vulnerable and I need help just as much as the next person, I haven't lost any credibility. I haven't lost my standing. I don't lose my plaque on the door. I actually build rapport and trust because we are in this together. And I have a different role. I have a different space, but I'm allowed to express my needs. And actually, that's not a hindrance to your work as a service provider. It's a help. It's connecting you and allowing you to be this relatable presence, as opposed to what you just said, this superwoman who's untouchable, who can just like be above it all and pour out and give and take everyone's stuff without needing anything in exchange or return. Yeah, I love the way you guys said that. Thank you. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to my next point. You've talked a lot about going on scenes and working the night shift and being on call. And the nature of law enforcement is that it's a 24-7 job. And so tell us a little bit about the personal cost that has come along with doing this job the way that you have formulated yourself to do it. I think one of the things that I've struggled a lot with in this position is what boundaries look like. Because you can go to classes, you can go to trainings, Mm. you can talk. I talked all kinds of my social work classes about how you have to set these boundaries to take care of yourself and all this. And I would sit there and listen and go, okay, that's all well and good, but I don't know what that actually looks like for me. And I don't know how you actually put those boundaries in place. Because I think there are times that someone comes to you and you can say, this is an emergency, we can chat tomorrow, whatever. But if you're dealing with an officer that just saw something terrible or a dispatcher that just took a call that they can't sleep after, your job as the chaplain is supposed to be to be there in that moment, in that in-between until they can get to whatever that other resource is. And so it is a weird, how do you hold that boundary and hold that protection for yourself, but also 
not lose the chance to be there for someone because I think the gift of having been in the position as long as I have been is that I have the credibility that if I do have to tell someone I can't meet with them right then, they know that I will still be there. But early on, I didn't have that. I didn't have that rapport with the department yet. I didn't have that trust from them. And so if I said no to being there for someone, I really kind of was risking them ever reaching out again. And then to carry that idea of my saying no possibly hindered someone from not getting help or not getting the space that they needed to debrief something was really a lot to carry. And so it's still something that I struggle with in figuring out how do you set those boundaries. And even when you have your day off, if you're still technically on call, you're really not off. And so it is a weird thing to navigate and to figure out. And I don't know that I really fully have the answer to it yet. Well, thanks for being so honest and raw about that. And I can see where that struggle definitely comes from. Even though you may not have arrived at what are my personal boundaries and what are my time boundaries, how have you seen it evolve from like when you said I had to start off and like kind of prove my worth and prove that this position was valuable to now going, I have proved my worth and people do trust me and they trust that if I say, hey, we're going to have to talk about this tomorrow, that I will be here tomorrow to do that or that I will follow up with them. How have you seen that evolve and be able to set those maybe little boundaries, those little pockets of care for yourself? I'll generally send an email out to the department if I'm going to be on vacation. Usually jokingly as a, just in case you wonder why the snacks are getting empty, because I tease them all the time about if something happens to me, at least they'll come looking for me when the snacks get empty. But, you know, so I'll send emails (laughs) out more in a joking tone, but it's neat to then see some of them stop by my office and go, good, get out of here, turn your phone off, go relax, go enjoy. And so to see them Mm, validate that I need the time has been really good for my soul and my feeling about things because it's made me realize that it's okay to take those breaks and I'm not going to lose anything by that. And I think it's helped also now when newer officers come in, it's not a new thing for me to be around. It's something that the other officers just kind of will vouch for me. And so if there's a brand new officer that maybe I have to say, I'm sorry, I can't come to that scene right now, or I'm sorry, I can't have this conversation with you right now. If they do get put off by that or feeling like I'm not available, there's an officer that's been here for a while that will then turn around and vouch and say, hey man, she just needed some space. Like she will get back with you. You can trust Heather, I promise. And so having them to vouch for me too has been a big help and getting them to see that it works helps kind of show the newer people that it it will. So it's been nice to get rid of that guilt feeling as much. I don't feel that as often. I mean, I still don't like saying no because it's just not nice to be able to not be there when they want you to be there. But I don't feel as much like I'm hindering something or like I'm hurting someone if I say no, which that's been a very freeing place to get to. Yeah. We talked about this last, our last episode, how hard it is to set boundaries and how hard it is to know where is our personal boundary line. But it seems so empowering maybe that the officers are happy for you when you set boundaries. And then it made me think like, oh, by you setting boundaries, it empowers them to set boundaries too. Because 
the unintended kind of perk, but also consequence of being a, a law enforcement agent in, you know, in a law enforcement agency is that there's unlimited opportunities for overtime and extra jobs and the pull to work all the time because the need is so great is also there for them too. And so when you model setting boundaries, it also shows them, oh, hey, I can set boundaries too. I can say no to that overtime or I can say no to that extra job or I can say no to X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be. And I think it's made a big difference to reminding myself that they know my heart. And so if I miss something, they know that my heart was still to be there. We had a big incident during biker rally. And at the end of the night, I was back at the station and I was trying, I was like, okay, go check on dispatch and see how they're doing after the calls came in. Okay, go check on the detectives. Oh, wait, got to go check on the crime scene people and the SWAT team and this. And, you know, and I was trying to check on everybody and I went home and went to sleep. And when I woke up, I thought, I didn't check on any of the families of the people that responded first. I hope the families are doing okay. And I didn't check on this person. And I found myself kind of starting Mm -hmm. to feel that. Yeah, that's a lot of responsibility for you to carry. Like I alone have to check on all these people. And I had to just stop and remind myself that, Heather, you've been present. They know you're available. They know your heart is for them. And if you didn't physically contact them right in the moment, it's okay if you do it a day later or if you do it when you see them next, they're going to know you were thinking about them and they know they can pick up the phone to you. And so sometimes I just have to have those little chats with myself and remind myself that you've done the groundwork, you've laid the foundation, it's strong, it's there, it's okay. Yeah. Who's checking on you? Yeah, you got to ask the tough question, huh? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) One thing that I have realized kind of over and over is moving out of working full-time at a church into coming on to the department. Um, It was kind of freed at first of not quote-unquote having to be at church every Sunday, But I quickly realized that that was a space that I very much still needed. So I've been very cautious about how much Mm. responsibility I take on at church. Because that is a space often where if I have been purely in work mode and I haven't really even stopped to think about how something impacted me, a lot of times sitting in worship is when I can sit and really allow myself to be that person that something impacted again. And a lot of people in the congregation probably think that I'm antisocial because a lot of times I'll just sit in the back kind of to myself. And that helps me if I need to let some tears flow. It doesn't matter because nobody's sitting next to me. If I need to type something on my phone, nobody's like, why is she on her phone? So that's become a really important space for me. But I've also been hugely grateful for the critical incident stress management team. I connected with them right when I first started the department. And like you said, Faith, we were in that training together and There are other chaplains on that team and a couple of the mental health professionals that I'm pretty close to. And so if they see something happen in Galveston, they're pretty good about reaching out and just checking and asking what I need and if I'm okay. And so that's been a good space. Or if I call and reach out to the team to come do a debriefing, if I start telling the story of what happened, they're pretty good about stopping me and saying, okay, wait, you were where and you did what? What do you need? Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. And so it's definitely nice Mm. to have those people that do that. But it is a going back to kind of that line, I do have to be careful sometimes that I do rely on those outside sources and don't rely within the department because it is easy when you, as a chaplain, you almost become more of a friend than necessarily that mental health professional that has those built in, we don't talk about these things kind of boundary. And so 
it is easy to take those friendships maybe more than they necessarily are, if that's the right way to say that, and go to them when you need things. And I have to remind myself sometimes, no, this is where it's appropriate for me to go check in with someone outside of the department. So... Wow. It sounds like you really have built up an internal support system and an external support system as well. And I think that highlights such a need of if we're going to be in these spaces where we are working in compounding trauma, you're having vicarious trauma and your own trauma at the same time. And it sounds like you're carrying a lot of emotional responsibility for the well-being of not only the officers, but their family and the community, you have to have both. You have to have that internal anchor of how do I fill my cup back up? And what is it that fills that cup up? And then how do I reach out for support? Who and how and when do I reach out for support externally when my internal system isn't cutting it? Yeah. So thank you for highlighting that, that we need both. Yeah. And as I'm listening to you share I know for myself, when I have been in similar positions and because of my own trauma, my own way of operating, sometimes I will put myself in a position where I feel needed, where I feel like this thing is relying on me or these people are relying on me. And I can really get a high from being in a position like you've described, where I'm like the caretaker of all these people. And so I wanted to ask, what part of your job, if there's any part of your job, have you seen the opportunity or have you seen any progress or growth in empowering the officers or the team to take care of themselves? I think there's that part of us that, that needs support, like your role and holding that presence is so important. And then there's also the side where it's like, well, I, I can't be the only one. I can't be like the support. And so is that something that you are actively working on? Do you see that as a culture being cultivated on your team? That was a big shift coming from the church to the department. When I was at the church, it's pretty easy as a lot of pastors will do some sort of pastoral counseling or marriage counseling for people. But a lot of times it's very minimal. They'll say, okay, I'll meet with you three times or I'll meet with you and set a certain boundary, whatever that ends up looking like. And it's pretty easy to then say, because you are easy to say, you know, I'm not the the trained mental health person, so I'm going to get you to someone that is. Well, in the police department, what I worried about when I first came over here, because we did have a couple officers that their needs were very great. They didn't have good support systems. They were leaning on me as the chaplain to kind of be that full support. And Some of it, I had no issue doing. I felt like it was appropriate. It was an in-the-moment kind of thing, exactly where I should be. But a lot of times it did grow to where it was more than I felt like I necessarily needed to be doing or they had been given other resources that they weren't taking advantage of. But I was very afraid to not still be there for them because it was early enough on that I was afraid that then if I said, I'm sorry, I've given you some resources it's not appropriate for me to be in this role for you anymore. A word would have spread around the department that, well, Heather won't help you. So don't go to her. And I was really worried about that. If I did set a boundary or set up, this is what my support for you is going to look like. And then it needs to go outside of here. But I think now people have gained a trust in the chaplain position and program in a way that I so appreciate that they know that it's a spot that they can come 
to get other resources, that they don't have to come solely looking for everything from this office or from me as a person that they can come and know that I can point them somewhere else and support them in their going wherever else they're going to go to get whatever support they need. And so I think it's just, yeah. again, not something I've perfected. It definitely has a long way to grow to get better. But I think it's something that with bringing in so many other voices for trainings, I used to do so many of the trainings myself, but I think pointing them to other people like the videos you've done, Krista, and this month we're showing a video from a lady that does financial coaching. And I think just bringing in other voices has helped show that it's not just me that can help you. And I think that was something I had to do to get myself off of that. Everybody needs me and I can solve everybody's problems. And that, I guess, you know, kind of that Messiah complex. I think I kind of had to get myself off of that. And then also realizing that they need a bigger circle than me. They need a bigger circle to support them. And so I think that's kind of shown them that there are other people that care out there. And it's hugely honoring and humbling. If I give them a name, they go, okay, well, you gave me that. So I trust it. And to be in that position is a very special thing too, that they know that I've got their best interest at heart. So yeah. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is that that was a very intentional move on your part to remove yourself from that position of like Messiah, Savior, I'm the one-stop shop to say like, not only do I have to intentionally guard against that feeling in my own heart and mind, but I have to intentionally prove that to the people around me that I am helpful, but I'm not everything. Yeah, And that just speaks to your own humility, it's part of the process. Like if we are going to be helpers and supporters, part of our job has to be popping that ego bubble to say, not only do I have to know that it's okay that I'm not your everything, I have to literally prove to you (laughs) that I'm not your everything. And that can be challenging when, like you said, at the beginning of your role, you had to kind of show that your job was worth it. And so there is that sort of balance of my presence is important. But what I'm hearing you say is you've just gotten so confident in who you are. There's not an insecurity about what you can or can't do. You know that what you do and who you are is valuable and important. And it's that confidence and assurance that allows you to invite other people and help people find their own resources and stand on their own two feet. And I just think that's really incredible. I like how you highlighted that a lot of the lack of boundaries at the beginning were fear driven. You know, I'm afraid I might lose my funding or I'm afraid someone might not come to me next time. And that highlights just kind of the nature of positions like this that are grant funded. The nature of grant funding is that we have to constantly prove that our job is worth funding. And so a lot of that fear-driven lack of boundaries is kind of inherently in that because it's like, we have to show at the end of each quarter, how many people have we helped? How many of this have we done? How many of that have we done? I worked for an organization where that fear-driven sense to say no, I've heard that same statement. Well, if we say no, they may never call us again. And it's like, we have to take that chance because we can't always say yes, like it's not possible. And so I love that you highlighted that. I think that is so much bigger than just what you're experiencing. You know, there's so many social service organizations out there or jobs out there and really helping professional jobs out there that 
live in that space of fear of if I don't do everything and I, or if I'm not personally everything, I'm going to lose this position and then nobody will be helping. Right. Yeah. And that leads to a lot of self-sacrificing behaviors that could be very detrimental for the helper. And so I'm so glad that you highlighted that. And I'm so glad you shared with us your journey. And then I also am so glad that you highlighted like, hey, I'm still working on it. I still haven't mm-hmm. arrived because I think that's true for everybody. None of us have arrived at exactly the perfect way to do this job, you know? And so it's good to know that we're all in this together. One thing I'm so grateful for being in the chaplain position versus some other roles I've been in in my past is that with this one, with it being so family oriented, it's so incredible to see how every time I let that fear and that doubt creep back in and start to lose that confidence. This is my calling. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is good. Every time that happens, I get a text or I get an email from someone or something that just validates you're important to me. Your work has mattered to me. I appreciate you being here for me. Or somewhere that I didn't think that I was able to help, someone speaks life into that. And so that's something that it happened before in the church. And not to knock the church, I loved my time working there. But this is just such a whole different ball game and just such a whole different approach to things. And so the way that the officers and the dispatchers and civilian employees and the families validate the work that I do, I'm so grateful for. And I think it's really helped in getting to the place of being less fearful and being less concerned about that and being able to walk a little bit more in certainty that this is going well. And so I couldn't do it without that. And I'm so grateful that that seems to pop up every time I start to really wonder or doubt. Yeah. Okay. So I have one last question for you. What does the sustainability of this model look like for you and look like for the department? And what does the sustainability of this model look like for other police departments? Have you thought about like, hey, we should take this role and teach other police departments how to do this? So that's a big question I've been asking is kind of what does the future of this look like? And I think some of it is in the fact that I've kind of muddied the waters a little bit between the roles that I play. And I get torn a lot on would I want this to look like more of a move to a wellness position, which is what a lot of police departments are moving towards. But then that kind of gives up some of the responding to scenes and going to help in that way, which I still really love. And then I also know if we moved to more of a wellness position, what would that look like as far as trying to make sure the chaplain piece was sustained and how do I build up other people to do that? And so that's definitely just internally and personally been a question I've been kind of wrestling with and with knowing that eventually I will take the test and hopefully pass and get my license that that does open up other doors, having that social work license and what it, how do I use that? And Definitely, as far as other police departments, before I started this position, I couldn't have told you that a chaplain position was important at a department. I didn't have the forward thinking that Krista has with why this is all so important for agencies and organizations. Now that I've been in it, though, I want to go tell every police department that they should have a chaplain and that I would love to help them develop that and have that. And I think the hard piece is, though, you can't just approach any pastor and just assume that they will be fit for a chaplain role because they're very different. And so you Mm, do have to have the right person and have the right 
mentality behind it for them to see this as a different style of ministry. And so if I were to talk to other departments, that would be a big piece that I would talk with them about. But yeah, if I could go become a champion for telling other departments that they needed a chaplain, I 100% would do that. But then I would miss my people here. So I don't know. Well, it sounds like that proper training is a really important aspect for this role. Not just have the heart and the compassion, but to be able to have some frameworks that you've picked up through your years of service, but also through your trainings and then getting your master's in social work. It sounds like that's a really important piece for anybody looking to take a position like this. Yeah, very much so. That was two days into my position, I got called out to an officer-involved shooting. And I just remember driving over there going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know really what Mm. my role is there. I've never done this before. And I laughed when I got on scene and I kind of was wandering around trying to figure out even where I should be. And one of the guys that was the association president at that point said, I need somebody to go pick up pizza. Oh, I jumped on that because I could pick up pizza. Youth ministry background, (laughs) I could pick up pizza. But that was a moment where I really realized driving back to the department that night, I went, I need training. I know how to love people and how to care about people, but I need to know how to do it in this atmosphere. And I was so happy when I walked back into the station and the critical incident stress management team was there and they said, oh, you should go to X, Y, and Z trainings. I went, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the trainings that you have now under your belt. So I have been able to do a lot of trainings through... One of the Christian radio stations, K-Love, has a crisis response care group that does a bunch of trainings. And that's been really neat to be a part of. That's where I met Dr. Paget, that is the FBI chaplain that says she loiters with intent. And she's done a lot of trainings on different aspects of chaplaincy and how to take care of the officers, psychological first aid, how to be trauma-informed, a lot of those things. So that's been really huge to take a bunch of her different classes and see that kind of from a first responder lens. And then getting to do the social work degree, some of that was hard because I didn't feel like it automatically applied. I had to really kind of sit and figure out how it fit into the first responder world. But it gave me so many building blocks and tools that were extremely important. And going for that degree was having a backup plan in case my position didn't get funded to be able to figure out a different route. But it has ended up just being a joyful skill builder to have in what I do and to reframe a lot of the way that I've approached things. So that's been really good. And then of course, I can't go without saying I loved your motivational interview training space. That was really good. And it's helped me think about how I talk to the officers and getting them sometimes to like Krista was saying, realize that they can make those changes. That's really helpful to use that. And so I don't know that I would have realized that that was a helpful tool for me if I hadn't gone the social work direction, but I've been very grateful to have that. So I think kind of having training from a lot of different angles has helped. But yeah, my seminary degree that I had going into this definitely didn't prepare me for law enforcement chaplaincy. Yeah. Can you share the name of the person that you trained under through the K-Love again? Yeah. So it's Dr. Naomi Paget, and it's K-Love has an organization called Crisis Response Care. And you can actually get on their website and they have all sorts of free trainings. And so many of them are virtual now since COVID. And so you can get on and I mean, it's a full day on the computer, but she has a lot of really good stuff and 
moral injury. She does some of the compassion fatigue stuff, stress-related stuff. There's some really good things. A lot of it has a little bit of a first responder angle to it, but it's so applicable to so many different areas of social service. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Okay. I know I said this, but this is really the last thing. (laughs) Where can people find you? Where can people donate to the snack program? How can other people who want to support the work that you're doing, how can they get involved? Yeah. So as far as donations, the shameless plug that you always have to make, Moody Methodist Church actually has an account set up for me. And so if people at all want to make financial donations, there's an option to do that through there. And funds that I get are used either to purchase snacks or to care for officers that get in bad situations to go run and grab meals for our little kids that end up at the station. It just kind of any of those emergency situations that come up or doing date nights and family events for the officers so that they can have fun spaces to be together and get to interact um, and have a stress break. The funds all kind of go for those kind of things. Snacks, you can send those just straight to the police department. It's the Galveston Police Department on 54th Street and you can drop them off. You can let me know and I'll come grab them from you. As silly as it sounds, I can't tell you how many times a bag of chips has led to somebody actually talking about something really major going on in their life. So they work. And oh my goodness, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, they will eat those for days. As far (laughs) as connecting otherwise, I'm pretty much on all the different social media things. Facebook, I'm just on as Heather Gates. Instagram, htgates83. You can message me there. My email address is hgates at galvestontx.gov and would love to connect with you all that way. And yeah. Awesome. Well, Heather, we are so honored to know you, to get to work with you and have served with you in different ways. And just thank you for loitering with intent and believing in the power of presence and being that presence in such an honest and authentic way. It's been so encouraging to hear your story and to hear your work and we believe in you and yeah. put us in your corner. Thank you all for, so, thanks yeah. for, Thank being, you all for being some of that circle and for the invitation today. I am so appreciative of you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is the end of our interview with Heather Gates. We're yes. so thankful that you tuned in with us today. Catch us next time. We'll see you then. This episode of Full Cup Professionals is sponsored by Good Sustained, my workplace wellness and stress resilience consulting company. As a part of Good Sustained, I do one-on-one health coaching, but like you hear in this episode, I teach classes and workshops for social service providers, law enforcement, and nonprofit organizations. If you are a team who is working with and serving people, especially if you're in a high trauma space, I would love to support you. The videos that Heather mentioned are these short little videos I created for her staff where we talked together about what she felt like her team really needed to hear. And I put some short videos together that she used as a resource. It's been great for her team because she can play the videos and then have conversations with her staff. But sometimes it's been easier for me to go out to a team and do a virtual training or an in-person training. So if getting some extra help and resources, especially around starting these conversations around vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue, or even just how do we physically take care of ourselves? How do we eat to help balance our stress and take care of our bodies when we're working in this specific environment? 
I would love to support you. So you can visit the link in the show notes or go to goodsustained.com slash services and fill out the interest form for those workshops and we can get in touch. All right, let's get back to the episode. Oh, she's incredible. I'm so glad we got to hear from her. She just had some really good nuggets of wisdom to share. She, she really did. Yeah. I'm just so glad that she got to be our first interview because that was just such a wealth of knowledge and vulnerability and hearing about her journey. It can just resonate with so many people. Absolutely. It definitely has given me some fresh things to think about, which I'm really grateful for. That's why we have conversations is because we learn from each other and someone's journey can really mirror a place in our own life. We're like, oh man, that's, I need to tend to that or I I could grow there. So. Yeah. And you know, I think it really highlights that, you know, even though we all do different work in this space, that we really are all in this together and we all really need each other. Well, Faith, what does this week look like for you? How are you going to be filling up your emotional cup and taking care of yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. I've really been thinking about this, trying to be intentional about what are the things that are going to fill up my cup. And something that I love doing that I've kind of gotten away from in the past couple of weeks, and maybe it's because of the weather or just the busyness of life, but I just really enjoy in the mornings, like drinking my coffee outside and watching the sunrise and just really kind of being mindful about my quiet time in the morning along with grounding myself in the morning and the senses of the morning with the sounds and the sunrise and everything. And so my hope is that this week I'm going to be more intentional about setting myself time to do that in the morning to sit outside and have that quiet time with my coffee while I watch the sunrise. What about you? What are you going to be doing? Since I started this new job and we've launched our podcast and I'm working on my business, I work a lot. And I have a little time in the morning, but I pretty much work all day and then I go to the gym and then I come home and I work some more. And I'm noticing that like my health has been taking a kick. My body is very sensitive to stress. And one of the things that I can really tell is like my digestion has just been off. And I know it's because I'm eating in a hurry and I'm like Mm. working while I'm eating. And we've talked about this when we're in go mode, fight or flight, or our sympathetic nervous system is activated, we don't produce stomach acid. And so it's not going to feel comfortable when you eat food and you were thinking about a million other things because your body's like, we were not prepared to digest this meal you just gave me. And so I can just tell, and a part of me is like irritated. (laughs) I just want my body to be like able to push through. And just deal with it. I'm like, well, this is what we got going on. So suck it up, honey. But actually, I'm just reminded that is my cue. That is my gift. That inability to digest food and work at the same time, that is my gift to remind me to slow down. And I have to listen to that. I have to acknowledge that I'm human. And I need, even if it's just 15 minutes, to just like breathe. And so I need to be breathing before I eat. And for anyone listening, this is really helpful. Take five to eight deep belly breaths before your meal and think about, tell your body, we're about to eat and smell your food and look at your food. That will cue your brain and your body to begin getting ready to digest your food. When I do this, my digestion is a million times better. Yeah. So I just have not wanted to slow down long enough to do that. But my body is telling me 
we need the time. Yeah. And I'm reminded of a team time lesson that you taught us when we used to work together about closing your computer when you eat and really Mm -hmm. signaling that I'm shutting work off for a minute and I'm going to be mindful about eating. Something that has stuck with me over the years is that like I really try to be intentional about closing my computer or stepping away from my computer to eat my lunch, especially like in the middle of the day. So yeah, thanks for that reminder. Thanks for reminding me what I said. I I hope I will swallow my own medicine. (laughs) All right. Well, for you listening, it's maybe a bit much to say we love you, but we do. I do. I am just, I'm grateful. Yeah, I'm grateful too. This has been such a fun process. I think for both of us, it's been a little bit more work than we had anticipated, but it also has been just so much fun. Yes, absolutely. And we're just grateful for... The audience that is listening, the yes, people thank that you for being are here. driving and cooking and whatever it is you're doing, just hear my voice today say that you are such a gift, you matter, and we are so grateful to share this planet with you, and we are here to support you in any way we can. So that is the end of today's episode, but we will catch you next time. Yes. Yes.